Good morning, HL. Brand new series today. Is anyone excited about that? Yeah, I'm stoked, man. Our one-year celebration is next Sunday, and uh, can't wait to see you all there. Please invite family and friends. It's going to be great. We're also having baptisms next Sunday. Yeah, yeah. So, hey, if you've never been baptized, please sign up. I mean, what better day than HL turning one than to be baptized, right? Hey, I like to, we're going to start calling this church the best kept secret in the DMV. I don't know. I just, I believe that. I believe that with all of my heart. So welcome here. Uh, One year is going to be great. Hey, we're starting a brand new series today entitled The Highly Unlikely. And uh, we're going to dive in for the next four weeks. And, and, and I'll explain what that means here in a second. But uh, I love our church. You know, like I said, we're a year old. There are a lot of things I love about HL. But one thing specifically is uh, all of our differences. I mean, I've, I've met with so many different people, uh, different backgrounds, ages. I mean, we have 70-year-olds that attend our church, 60, 50 uh, 30, 40. We're still working on that teenage demographic, but we're going to get them in here. Um, I love our differences. I mean, some of you like tiramisu. Um, others of us prefer, okay, we got a tiramisu. Coffee cake, it just, it doesn't, I guess. I'm a red velvet cheesecake guy, as you know. There we go, yeah. Some of you are chicken biscuit people. Some of you are chicken mini people. I don't know how because that bread is never all the way baked. It just makes me sick. Um, uh, contrary to what you may believe, I don't like seafood. Who, who's a seafood lover in here? Show of hands. Whoa. You all may want to find a new church because, yeah, I, uh, I, I know. I'm tripping, right? I mean, I'm from Florida, but, you know. Um, I always tell people I don't like the fishy aftertaste. Um, and they say, oh, it's, it's how you cook it. That's the, always the response. But I've never had anyone cook it that great. So, um, man, I just love our differences, our backgrounds, our stories, our, our testimonies. Um, some of us are further along in our faith than others, and that's okay. We're all here together. We started this church for everyone. Um, millionaires all the way down to, you know, the impoverished. Anyone everyone and in between. So we're just glad that you're here. The differences, you know, there's one thing I think we have in common, though. I believe that throughout our lives, it's been verbally or non-verbally communicated to us that we would only go so far. Some of us have been told that um, we were only going to, you know, make it this far, have this much impact. We never get out of this socioeconomic status Uh, We never get out of this tax bracket. You're never going to be better than your last relationship. I think we all have that in common. Be it someone has told us that verbally or non-verbally, I know for a fact, because the Bible teaches us about a spiritual enemy. His name is Satan. I know that you are attacked every single day before you jump out of the bed. And it's like you're not going to make it. You're not going to succeed. Forget about dreams. Forget about growth, forget about your marriage, forget about finding someone else. We have a spiritual enemy that wants to limit us and keep us down. I know this. Or 
some of us have been raised um, in certain environments that were not conducive to, to dreaming big. Um, it wasn't set up for us to have major aspirations in life. So we can't even see further than, than this next week of work because simply because of the environment that we were raised around. And so I know a lot of people feel unqualified to do great things. I know I do. Every morning before I get on the stage, I am back there praying. My heart is pounding out of my chest like a Disney movie or cartoon. You know, I'm, I'm afraid, like, Lord, I'm going to mess this thing up. I don't, I don't see how you can trust me with such a platform. And uh, I just feel unqualified every single morning before I stand before you to declare the word of God. And uh, so I know you do. I know you feel unqualified. No matter how far you've made it, you feel limited. But the great thing about God and the great thing about Scripture, this is a historical document. Everything in this book has happened. Every person in this book existed in the history of man. They've done it. You, you should read Hebrews 11. It's the Hall of Faith. You got the Hall of Fame, the Walk of Fame in, in Hollywood, but we have the Hall of Faith here in Hebrews 11. Um, God specializes, and, 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 and he often calls the most unlikely, the most unqualified people to do the most amazing things. He specializes in that. And so that's what this series is all about. It's about the highly unlikely. No matter where you're from, no matter your start, um, God has a calling on your life. He has a plan for your life. Your impact is going to be limitless. Um, the platforms he wants to elevate you to, you have not imagined, you have not dreamed yet. And uh, he's going to call you out of a normal rigmarole, and he's going to elevate you and use you, and you're going to have joy, and you're going to have power, and people are going to recognize you for who you truly are. You've been created in the image of God, and the world needs to know that. And so today we're going to start with uh, teen David. He's not quite yet a king. Um, it's been about 300 years. Israel, the children of God, have entered the promised land. And um, they, they no longer wanted a theocracy where God was number one in their lives. They wanted a man. They wanted a, a, a human figure to lead them, um, as we often do, right? And so they were done with prophets like Moses and Joshua. We're, we're here. We've made it. Now, can we have a king like the rest of the nations? And so they... they, they they, they bothered God about this for years, and God finally said, okay, I'll give you a king. As God often does, God will never force anything on you. He will always allow you to have what you want. So just make sure you want the right things. And so the Bible tells us that God knew that the first king they chose was not going to be the best choice. So King Saul was the people's choice. The Bible says that he stood um, neck and shoulder above every man. In Israel, he was tall, he was handsome, he was very talented. So they saw King Saul and they said, He is our king. And God knew that his character wasn't going to be able to uphold. And so, um, a few years passed by. Saul actually starts out pretty good. He's following the Lord, he's listening to the Lord's prophets, his pastors, his messengers. His heart is aligned with God. And eventually, he starts to disobey God and turn the other way. And he walks, so God is over here. He walks in a consistent, unrepentant state in his heart. And God says, you know what? I'm done with Saul. He's leading my people further 
and further and further away from all the blessing and all the fulfillment and all the joy and everything that I have for them. And he says this. He says, I've chosen a man after my own heart. So the first king was chosen by man. The second king, God's plan A, it's funny because God's plan A is often our plan B. God's plan A was a teenage boy whom he referred to as a man. And so he sends the prophet Samuel to a small town in Bethlehem, a forgotten town. Does that city sound familiar? I told you we're going to do a series in the future entitled Types and Shadows, where we're going to reveal Jesus in the Old Testament. David is a type of Jesus. He's a typology. And so Samuel, the prophet, goes to Bethlehem. He comes to uh, the family of Jesse. And God says, I've chosen a man there. And so I want to bring a message to you entitled, Didn't See That Coming. Or you can put, Never Saw That Coming. Man, never saw that. I didn't know know God was going to use you like that. I mean, in high school, you were the most unlikely to succeed. I didn't see God raising you up like that. I didn't, I didn't, see, it, I didn't see it coming. I didn't see it coming. We're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we're going to begin to read right there. Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I mean, Samuel was a prophet of God. He had the heart of God, and it broke his heart when God said, I'm going to remove Saul. And he said this, I have rejected him as king of Israel. <laughs> God rejects people. Mm. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. And he says, find a man named Jesse who lives there. I love it. For I have selected one of his sons to be my king. But Samuel asks, how can I do that if Saul hears about it? He will kill me. So Saul has gone crazy, and, 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 and Samuel knows this. And he's like, if Saul hears that I'm about to replace him, he's going to kill me. So watch God. God is a slickster. I love it. He says, uh, but Samuel, he's going to kill me. Take a heifer. So this is like a small calf with you, the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to me. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So this could have been like a peace offering. Um, um, knowing that it was going to be an anointing ceremony, they would have had a meal afterwards. I need you to stick with me. We're going to te- we, we teach a lot in here. Is that okay? Um, so we're not going to have you sit up, stand down, sit up, stand down. And I'm not going to yell at you. We're going to have a healthy balance of, of it all. Okay, so are we ready to go? Do you want to do something great in your life? Do you want your future to not look like your past? All right. Praise God. All right. So first point of encouragement I want to make is God is 100% sure about you. God is 100% sure about you. I remember uh, before we got, <laughs> before we, uh, we got pregnant with, with Judah, Kyra and I would always discuss, you know, so what is he going to look like? Uh, whose nose is he going to have? Um, you know, is he going to be chill because daddy's chill? Or is he going to be uh, like mom? You see mom up here doing worship. She's, and I'm just over here like, the great I am. She, 
And so she's all hyped and I'm chill. Is he going to be chill? I surely hope he's chill. Right now he's showing a lot of his mom. And I guess it's because he's two years old. Um, What kind of hair is he going to have? So I notice everywhere I take him, oh, I love his hair. But no one ever says they love daddy's hair. So he definitely got the hair from mom. And so um, this, this joker was born on October 11, 2014. On Wednesday, he's going to be three. And he starts school, praise God. Um, yeah, it's going to be better for all of us because I'll be free. And so um, he starts school. And on that date, October 11, 2014, I entered team no sleep. Any parents in the room? So I just want to tell you, I, I told all my male friends who were dads before I became, well, before I had a newborn, um, I was mad with them. I said, why didn't you ever warn me that I wouldn't ever sleep again in my life? This makes no sense. So team, no sleep. And um, I remember that second day um, before dawn, I'm sorry, yeah, before the, the sun came out, um, the nurse comes into the room, you're asleep, I'm on the couch, and, and the nurse says, okay, it's time for his first bath. And so they take him into the nursery. I said, all right, I'll be, I'll be down there in 10 minutes. Go ahead. And so I got up. I got down to the nursery. They're giving him a, a bath, and he's being a good boy. There are like four or five other kids in the nursery also being cared for. And so about another 10 minutes pass, and they finish up, and they're ready to give him back to me so I can go back to the room and feed him and I'll give him to you to feed him and get some rest. And um, before I leave, one of the other nurses, they asked me, they say, okay, um, we have little, uh, I don't remember the name, so bear with me here. We have little Johnny, little Sally, little Sue. You know, that's always the names of the kids that you don't know. And they said, um, the nurse said, hey, they've been here for more than an hour. Would you like to take them back to your room as well? And I said, no, I choose this one. Judah is mine. Like, I'm 100% sure about this one. I'm not sure about these, but I'm 100% sure about this one. I talked about him before he was born. We laughed about him before he was born. I had great thoughts about him before he was born. I had great plans for him before he was born. I was going to, you know, all this great stuff. I was going to set it up. You know, I was going to raise him up, give him my wisdom, give him my heart, give him my all. I had all these plans for him before I was born. I didn't choose these. I didn't put in the work for these. I didn't have these, and these aren't mine, but I love him, and I chose him. Now, I'm not God. I'm just saying, for, for the sakes of the sermon, that God was 100% sure about you before you were even born, before you were conceived, before you came through the womb. He was 100% sure about you. He, he, he's still sure about you to this day. Every, every, every ounce of your dysfunction and your brokenness, and, and the leaks, and the imperfections, and, and the sin that you carry, and, and the secret sin, all these things, he is still very sure about you. And he hasn't changed his mind. He hasn't changed his mind. I love this verse here in Psalm um, 139. It says this. David actually wrote this. Psalm 139, verse 13, it says this, and she is in the word. I love it. She's listening, but she's doing great. Give it up for Andrea, production team. She was like, oh, my God, this is so good. God is sure about me. 
by Andrea. Press the thing. <laughs> Press it. So good. He says this. This was David. He hindsight's 2020. He came to a point in his life. I don't know. He may have written this when he was in the pasture, and it's, you're going to read the story in a minute. He says this. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mom's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in, the, in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Are you serious? Vote David for president. This dude's a poet. Now, if you read your Bible, Saul never authored anything. We're going to talk about the heart in a moment. But, 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 but I love this. Saul is leading the people into instability. And God has a plan. And that plan involves a person. So we, we want God to change our families and our cities and touch our nation and touch our organizations and touch our students. God does not do anything apart from your involvement. God was 100% sure that he was going to elevate David to the kingship. He had chosen him 100% sure about the person that he had created. And I want you to understand something. That whenever God chooses to do something significant in the earth, he's looking at you as his number one candidate to do it through. Whenever he decides to change a family, be it a marriage, your parents, your grandparents, your kids that you haven't had yet, your kids you've already had, your, 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 your classmates, whatever he does, he looks at you. And he's 100% about you. No matter where you are, you are God's chosen vessel. 1 Samuel 16, 4 says this, So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Now, context. Samuel has just killed a king that God, and people, someone, if another person asked me, is the God of the Old Testament a God of love? Now, look, we'll talk about that some other time. God told Saul to kill a particular king. And Saul did not do it. As a matter of fact, uh, they were in a war and they took all the loot and they saved all the precious stuff. And then he allowed two kings to live. Samuel shows up on the scene and he guts the two kings. He says, God told you to do this, do it. And so um, the, the elders of Bethlehem, they're like, do you come in peace? Because they know that this just hit CNN. This dude's on a rampage. And he says this, he says, look, man, chill. He says, look, yes, I come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Here it is. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. History believes that Eliab was tall and he had great hair and he was handsome. And so even the prophet falls into this trap. And he says, this is surely the Lord's anointed. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, uh, don't judge by his appearance or height. 
for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. I need you to highlight that, underline that, circle it, and put a star next to it. The Lord doesn't see things the way that you see them. He doesn't see people the way that you see them. He doesn't even see you the way you see yourself. And so it says here, people judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Point of encouragement number two, God accepts who man rejects. God accepts who man rejects. You know, so about two months ago, uh, I was out with, with my baby boy. And uh, I chose to do something pretty brave. Uh, buy Kyra an anonymous gift. You know, I think the best gifts aren't Christmas or your birthday. I mean, those are easy sauce. People know those are the days to buy you a gift. But I've always personally believed that if you would just get me a gift on a Tuesday in the middle of August, and I'm sorry if your birthday is August, but August is an ugly month for a name. Not your birthday, but the month is ugly. Ew, August. I didn't get many laughs. We must have a lot of birthdays in here. <laughs> I need to work on my jokes. But anyway, I'm kind of out of my joke bank, so let me just teach the Bible. Um, can I just encourage you? This is the way Jesus taught. He didn't stand behind the scripture and say, the Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped as well. No, no. He said he read the scripture and he told stories because stories draw people in. So anyway, back to the story. Um, so we went to the store and I picked her up like some pants and two shirts. And I put it in a very nice box at the foot of our bed. She was at work, working hard like she always does. And she gets home. And she opens the box, and she finds the present, and tears start rolling. And I'm like, why are you crying? Pants and two shirts? That's not, that's not special. But anyway, it was the thought that count. And so I said, you know what, babe? I got an idea. I'm going to do this more often. And I'm going to always use the same box. Because I don't want you to know the value of what's on the inside. Like, I'm going to use the same box. You're, you don't, you're not going to know if there's a diamond ring in that sucker, a gift card from someone for 500 bucks. You're not going to know if it's just a note, something affordable. You're not going to know what's in there. Because I don't, I don't want you to judge the gift on the inside based on the wrapping on the outside. And as humans, we ignorantly equivocate God's blessing, his favor in someone's life, with the outward appearance of success in other people's lives. And God said, I don't judge based on outward appearance. I don't judge based on someone's Instagram feed. I'm a pastor. I know not to now. I don't judge based on someone's Facebook. <laughs> don't do it. Don't judge based on the outside. God says that I judge based on what's in the heart. First Corinthians chapter one says this. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the Lord's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Highly unlikely. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful 
God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Man looks at skin color. Man looks at socioeconomic status. Man looks at clothing. Man looks at education level. All these things are not necessarily bad within themselves, but man looks at all of the outward things. God looks at faith. He looks at potential. He looks at sacrificial hearts. He looks at hearts of servitude. He looks at your faith. He looks at your attitude. Are you grateful for what you have? God looks on the inside. He doesn't look on the outside. It wasn't Eliab. Eliab had it going. All, he had it going. Chances are he wasn't a shepherd in the sheepfold. David was out in the field. He's not even at the party right now. He was CEO. He was lead dude. He, he, was, he was somebody important, Eliab. And God said, I have not chosen him because I don't look at the things that man looks at. And so what you have to understand is that if God is going to elevate you from the bottom and take you to the top, it's your responsibility to keep your heart in a place where God can elevate you, where God can use you, where God can mold you and take you places. Because if man says left, God says right. If man says Johnny, God's going to say Joe. If man says Joe, God's going to say Johnny. God never forgets about you and his choosing of others. He's always watching to see, are you a candidate? Are you someone that I can use? Someone that I can raise up? Someone that I, y'all. I've lived it. I'm the baby of 24. Single parent home. I've lived it. I know these things. That God can take someone seemingly insignificant and give them national and global prominence. God can take someone who was raised in a broken home and allow them to become and raise them up to become great fathers, great mothers. He can raise up anybody from the dust. He can raise up. If he rose Jesus from the grave, he can raise anybody up from the bottom. No matter where you are. It's just all about the condition of our hearts. Do we trust him? Do we follow him daily? Do we read him? Do we pray? Are we falling into passivity? Are we falling back into old sin? Are we falling back into our past? Or are we trusting him when we're out in the pasture with the sheep? Even when daddy doesn't invite me, God has not forgotten about me. That's, that's what we're talking about here this morning. And so 1 Samuel 16, 8 through 11 says this. Then Jesse told his son, Abinadab, to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shemaiah. But Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. He's not even referring to him as a person. It's a this. Now, neither is this ain't right. Where's, when is he going to show up? God's waiting on you to show up to the party. Neither is this. And then he says this. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. 
But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest. But he's out in the fields on his eight to five and not complaining about it. Loving every single second of it. Honoring me. I love the prophet's response. (laughs) Send him. Send for him at once. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. (sighs) I'm inspired. God's already done some great things, but there is even more in store. Because it's where you are and how you treat where you are that determines how far God takes you. So encouraging point number three is is that you are not forgotten. (laughs) This is bonkers. This is crazy. So Number one, David is not even invited when the prophet, the man of God says, look, bring everybody. Your pastor say something, follow through on it. Bring everybody. Jesse's about to miss his blessing because one day David's going to be taking care of his father. So anyway, bring everyone. So he's not invited. Number two, watch this. He doesn't, his father doesn't even refer to him by name. And number three, Samuel has to insist that David comes. For whatever reason, Satan was trying to get David from the, the presence of the prophet. Satan was trying to get you to not come to church this morning to hear this word because God is about to put something on the inside of your heart that's going to change the tra- trajectory of your future. And if I had a little bit more faith, I'd probably go harder. And so David was a shepherd. See, back, back in the, this day, early in the morning before the sun came out, Um, shepherds would go and get the sheep from the fold and they would journey far out from their home and they would go into a pasture so that the sheep would be able to eat and they would care for them and uh, you know any any sheep that were injured or sick they would bind them up Uh, they would be their caretakers Um, sheep are also very thirsty throughout the day so often you know psalm 23 the lord is my shepherd I shall not want. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd because we are sheep. Um, We don't know how many sheep David led. There could have been hundreds. Some even say over a thousand sheep. So it's interesting because God is actually recruiting David based upon a pre-profession that represents his destiny. So you're going to be the king of people. I need you to be faithful with sheep. And so um, sheep are known to stray away. So Jesus understands that uh, the church is considered a flock. I am an under-shepherd. Jesus is our top shepherd. So I pastor you, but Jesus is your pastor. You can get outside of my providence, but you can't get outside of his. And wherever you are, wherever you're broken, wherever you're hurt, whenever you've committed a sin, there's a reason why you continue to come back to church because your sole shepherd has went and gotten you back into place because he loves you. So um, David would often lead them by streams of water, Psalm 23, because he led the sheep to streams of water. And then uh, late at night, they would go back to the sheepfold. 
And, and this wasn't over. The son has, has went away and, and, and the sheep fold and he stays and he does overtime work because he protects the sheep from thieves, wolves, and bears. And, and this is not something to celebrate. This is not Instagram worthy. I don't have my phone, but he's not like, hey, sheep. <laughs> this is nothing to celebrate. It's an eight to five. It's nothing to really be stoked about. But you're not forgotten. Long, hard days. Long, hard days. And I just believe that it was in the pasture that David became king. I always felt that, um, I will say since the fourth grade, uh, whenever I stepped into a, a room, like, I was present, but there was a strong sense in my life that whatever I was going to do with it, lots of people were going to be involved. Um, I just felt different. I didn't feel like I fit into the normal crowd. Um, and I felt that God had put something on the inside of me. You got to feel this for yourself, that the world needed to know about. And so um, this multiplied when I gave my heart to Jesus at 19, because I read in the scripture where Christ calls fishermen, prostitutes, tax collectors, and these are the very people that authored a lot of the text of your Bible. He called them from nowhere. He didn't forget about them, and he used them in a supreme way. And so I, I came to understand that whatever I'm feeling is something that God has placed on the inside of me. And what's standing between me and where God is taking me is a lack of character. It, what was standing between you and where God is taking you is a lack of character. What's standing between you and where God is taking you is adopting a mindset that you've been forgotten. This is just all it's ever going to add up to is, is eight to five and, and school. And, you know, I got the same old friends, the same old thrills and and when we get that way, we're in essence, our hearts are in essence, we're telling God that you've forgotten about me because we're not allowing ourselves to see beyond where we currently are. And I just believe that David became king in the pasture. And so Psalm 24, 3 through 5 says this, who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God, their Savior. If you want God to give you decisive victory in your relationships, in your growth, in your process. The Bible instructs us to maintain pure hearts and clean hands. There's no way that you can go to the next level and adopt 
a spirit of offense towards God or towards your, your fellow man. There was something so humble about David that attracted God. There was something about David when he was in the field and he had every reason to be upset with God. He had every reason to be upset with his father. He had every reason to say, I'm bigger than this. I'm better than this. I should be promoted. I should be making more money. God, why are you? He had every reason to, but he didn't adopt a spirit of offense. And he put his head down. And so Psalms is the largest book in the Bible. Primarily authored by David. The word psalm means praise. And it was in the pasture where he became king. But before he became king, he became a worshiper and a praiser. He had an attitude of gratitude for his twice a month paycheck, for his ungodly boss of a father, Jesse. He was grateful for his dad because he knew in his heart of hearts that where he was did not represent where he was going. You are not, I need, Jesus, I need someone to get this in their hearts. You are not forgotten. God has just forced you into a process to mold your heart for the destiny that he has in store for your life. Give the word of God a hand clap. First Samuel 16, 12 through 13 says this. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So the word anoint means to pour. And he was pouring oil. In the Old Testament, the oil is a symbol of the Spirit of God. So anoint means to pour, but the secondary definition of anoint means to set aside for the purpose and the use of God. So he said, anoint him. Now what's interesting is is that David was just going to be anointed. He was not going to be appointed king yet. So when you give your heart to Jesus and things don't turn around in one month, you're in great company because they're not supposed to, okay? God has great plans. And so here it is. It says, so as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of oil. He had brought and anointed David with the oil. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to his home, Ramah. Ramah. Just want to tell you something real quick. We've got five minutes here. Uh, before King David's death, and you got to watch what you speak, because David said in the Psalms, he said a man's years are about 70. And he shouldn't have said that because he died at 70. A young man. Um, before he died at the age of 70, um, King Solomon, his son, was about to take the throne. Just in my study, this makes no sense, but God is a God of miracles. 
historically, if you go to First Chronicles, I think 29, David's heart is to build a temple for God to be worshipped. I can't wait on our next series, Perennial Architects, dedicating your life to building something bigger than you, the house of God, Perennial Architects. Oh, my God, I'm already stoked about it. We just started this series. And so a temple of God, because in the Old Testament, um, God was being worshipped in a set-up-and-tear-down church, what was called the tabernacle. So his presence uh, was represented by the Ark of the Covenant. The priests would carry it, and they would stop, and they would set up shop and worship God. It was David's heart to build God a temple, a permanent place where God would be worshipped. But God said, God is, God is the man. He said, nope, you won't do it because you are a man of war and you have blood on your hands. I love you, but you won't do it. Your baby boy, uh, Solomon, will. So the Bible teaches that uh, before David dies, um, he goes, David goes into his personal treasury. And he gives personally $6 billion. The equivalent of $6 billion to his son Solomon. And he challenges the entire nation of Israel to give the offering as well. Because where God is worshipped, lives are changed. And so with his $6 billion, the rest of the nation of Israel adds on an extra $50 billion. And so Solomon's first temple was worth 56 to $60 billion to worship God. Because you can never give too much to the cause of Christ. And so, but what this represents to me is, is that one day in his life, he was forgotten. He was rejected by man. He was, his dad wasn't sure about him. And God took him from the place of the pasture of insignificance to on his deathbed, he's leaving his son six billion dollars for the kingdom of God. This tells me that it doesn't matter where you've started. You don't have to finish where you've started. Your end can be greater than your beginning. But God is searching for faith. God is searching for faith. Who believes the statement I just said? Who who believes that? That where you start doesn't have to be where you end. And it's highly unlikely that you will be the person that God uses on a high magnitude. But it's highly preferable to God that you are the person that he uses in a great way. So doesn't matter if you've come from a single parent home, a broken family, alcohol and drug addiction. Going to get real. I hope it's no kids in here. It doesn't matter if you've slept with five people in the past six months. It doesn't matter if you haven't been to church ever, whether you're atheist, agnostic, Catholic, Christian. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how 2017 started. It doesn't have to end that way. It doesn't matter if you've had an abortion. It doesn't matter if you've been the offender. You know, Moses was a murderer. And he was called by God, highly unlikely, after serving in the wilderness of Midian for 40 years, God called him to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Murders serves 
and he becomes the deliverer. It doesn't matter where you start. That last point is this, is that God wants to take you from the bottom to the top. He wants to take you from the bottom to the top. And when you have faith in Jesus, unlike David, the spirit of the Lord comes into your heart. Jesus didn't die and and resurrect so that you would stay at the bottom. Um, But he died so that you could you could dream and you could believe so that your your end could be better than your beginning. And it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter who you are. You're somebody in the eyes of God. Let's go ahead and pray, church. Father, we give you honor and glory this morning. We give you praise. And um, God, we thank you that though we are the most unlikely that you're calling us to do amazing things. You are the God of miracles. And Lord, you specialize in changing lives. Jesus, we thank you for dying on that cross for our sins. We thank you for your love, God. We thank you that your spirit doesn't just dwell upon us, but it can dwell within us when we believe in you. And that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and liberty. Father, we give you glory. Amen.